PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a responsive, mobile-friendly website. Try one free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com. Then download our free educational guides at PhotoShelter.com resources. Hey, it's Alan Murabayashi from PhotoShelter. Today, live from the Summit Nature Workshop, we're talking about the birds. My name is Dave Showalter, and I'm a conservation photographer. Not just any type of bird. Dave Showalter photographs the lowly sage grouse. You might not even have heard of the sage grouse, but it's actually a vital part of the ecosystem of the Great Plains. Question, how would you define conservation photography? Well, it's defined a number of ways, but essentially at its, at its root, it's, it's photography with a purpose for a cause, for an issue. And in our world, it's often saving a creature or, or habitat and it can also have uh, transfer over to more uh, cultural and, and, and social issues as well. My latest project is called Sage Spirit, the American West at a Crossroads, and that takes in the eastern half of the sagebrush ecosystem in the American West which is where I focus my conservation efforts. And essentially the focus is on protecting the, the lingering sagebrush that we have and, and stopping uh, continued fragmentation of the eco ecosystem and, and development where it doesn't need to, to be. I had a long corporate career. And about 10 years ago, my wife and I worked together on a plan. I had previously published one book about the Colorado Prairie and had done the presentations and, and, and done a lot of that. The things that I'm doing today, the ILCP, International League of Conservation Photographers, formed a little over 10 years ago. And that gave me a way forward. They gave me a pathway because I realized you could be a conservation photographer. I'd, prior to that, I had identified myself as a nature photographer. But there's a difference, and that's the advocacy piece and, and how you go about making the images and how you build a visual story. And that really appealed to me, uh, the, just the essence of, of, of making, moving the conservation needle with images and, 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 and all, all of these efforts that we're talking about. So, so 10 years ago, my wife and I made this plan, and I made the jump from, from, from the corporate world to full-time conservation photography. And I was, at that time, I, I just moved directly into the Sage Spirit project, and I've been doing that ever since. And, and what role do you think photography plays that more typical or mainstream environmental, environmentalism doesn't? Largely, it's about how the, the story is packaged. And so you combine compelling imagery, hopefully that people can't look away from, with advocacy in some form. And that can be any form of media. It could be an exhibit in a public place, or it could be uh, articles in magazines or books or, or some sort of uh, video application. So the, the applications of, of how we tell these stories are limitless. Um, it's, it's a matter of determining how best to reach the most folks that can hopefully add their voice to a movement or a cause. Can you kind of talk about the 
the business of conservation photography in terms of you as an individual photographer trying to make a living or presumably trying to make at least part of your living through the sales of photography while simultaneously trying to pursue a, a cause? What, what are the economics of that? How difficult is it in this environment? It's pretty difficult uh, it, because um, there's just an awful lot of competition and we know that the photography industry has, has changed significantly in the last couple of decades. It's been a, a steady, um, a, you could say decline, but on the other hand, there's more images being produced and viewed right now than at any time in history. So I think that uh, you have to just be as diversified as you possibly can. You do your project, you get your project funded, and, and that enables you to do that work. And beyond that, all of us uh, have our own means, but we sell prints and we and we uh, sell our own stock in, in some fashion and do photo workshops and, and do editorial pieces and it helps a lot. The advice I got when I first started was that if you can photograph and write and offer a whole package to an editor, then that, that's helpful and, and it most certainly is. So you just diversify as much as you can within the scope of, of your mission. Is it pretty common to to be in the process of, of grant writing to get projects funded? Is that how most people, conservationists that, that you're familiar with, are, are doing these types of projects? Sure, yeah. So funding is key because many of us are doing long-term projects that aren't necessarily involve a good deal of, of travel, and, um, and that takes you away from all of those other avenues to generate income. So you're finding that that you need to strike that balance in order to uh, to make all all of it work. So I know you have a book that that covers the the sage and the sage grouse. Now you have an archive of images that you've taken over the past six years or so, six seven years or so. What would be a typical licensing opportunity? Who's using these types of images, and is it is it editorial? Is it nonprofits? Is it commercial use? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But not as much commercial. I don't think, um, although I want to pursue that, I want to find commercial opportunities because the implications of what's happening here in the West are, are wide-ranging, um, particularly when you speak of public lands and, and, and how much geography that takes up a third of the United States, essentially. So, so yeah, it's all of those things. So let's say there's an opportunity to be to have the story published in a Wired magazine or on TheAtlantic.com or in Time magazine or in a Time.com gallery. Do you view those all as licensing opportunities or do you, do you say, well, I need a wider audience, so I'm going to give them a picture package with minimal charge or no charge? How do, how, how do you see that working for this specific type of photography? Yeah, the, the giving away of your work is, is not a good practice. I think we have a responsibility to one another to hold up the business side of, of conservation photography. And each opportunity is unique, and you just uh, sort through that and talk to your, talk to your partner and, and try to forge a partnership and arrange um, an equitable uh, compensation for the work. It, we have to get paid for our work, otherwise we can't do this work. And um, 
and and so you have to find those customers out there that value the work and, and perhaps the best way to go and or oftentimes the best way to go is in conservation is you're working with NGOs and you partner with the NGO and you maybe in my case, at, at my publisher, I have a development manager, and at the International League of Conservation Photographers, we have an image bank, and so we have options where we can bring people in to help us to, to amplify the message. And I think at its core, uh, we necessarily have to find a, a lot of partners that want to help us because in my case, for instance, I'm, I'm just one guy. Um, but together, we can, we, we can do big things. We've seen, uh, particularly with political discourse uh, in the past year or two, um, that we operate largely in these bubbles. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about policy change that has to go across the aisle, so to speak, whether it's a political aisle or any sort of ideological aisle, how do you, what are the effective techniques for, uh, for avoiding preaching to the choir, as you will? Um, I think we were talking uh, over drinks last night saying when you go to a college town and you have a, a speaker series or a lecture series, it's the converted that you're talking to already. It's not actually converting uh, or creating advocacy. So how do you do that effectively, do you think, in this day and age? I think that those comments are not absolute. My, I, my view on going out and, and doing presentations is that there might be a few folks there that potentially could... You, you could, you could turn on a light with those people, and they, they may become engaged in conservation uh, issues. They may be funders in the audience. There may be, uh, you, 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 just, you just don't know. You're probably not going to reach the 20% or whatever it is that's just hard against any sort of conservation or in any sort of environmental um, issues. So our efforts, or our results, I guess, our outcomes are the sum of our efforts. And we have to get quite creative today with so many media opportunities out there and so much visual material that people see on, on a daily basis. How do you get them to stop? How do you get them to care? How do you get them to engage, to write a letter, to call their congressman? And there's no magic formula. You just, you just kind of figure it out. What, what sort of surprised you? Obviously, you had been familiar with the nature world and, and you had researched some of the advocacy and you know, know people like Michael Forsberg who worked as conservation photographers. What was the most surprising, surprisingly difficult thing to become a conservation photographer? Raising money. Yeah. Getting funding for your work. And what was the process? Who did you talk to? Was it a single funder? Was it multiple funders? Multiple, yeah, and we did our own fundraising events to keep me going. We did a lot of things uh, that are perhaps unconventional, but um, I was approached once, for instance, by an energy company because I had a, a, a drilling image on my website that they really, really liked. And I, I didn't want to work with these folks, but I'm a very inclusive photographer, and I think in the West you, you, you need to be in close, inclusive and you need to listen to folks. And I talked to these, these people and I said, well, yeah, sure, you can use the image. And, and it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a use that I would, 
I would have a problem with, and and they contributed to my project. So they contributed funding. So that was, in my view, it wasn't wildly creative, but it was it was a way forward. Many photographers, many full-time photographers that I speak to don't actually spend all their time taking photos. There's been a need to become, uh, to create diversified uh, revenue streams. Um, what's sort of the breakup for you in terms of picture taking versus the uh, workshops versus speaking? What, what's the reality of being a conservation photographer? The reality is I'm probably in the field 20% of the time, something like that. And, and then the rest is editing the business of nature and conservation photography and my work with the ILCP. I'm engaged in the International League of Conservation Photographers, so, so I do a lot of work um, interfacing with my colleagues there. So I don't know what the percentages are. After I published the book, I was making presentations a couple of times a week and traveling to both coasts and, and in between. It's kind of like the change of seasons brings a, a new mix of, of how you arrange your life and, and your purpose with, um, with the images first, but you, you, you need to be doing the rest um, all of the time. And, and quite frankly, uh, social media takes up a, a good piece of time, and, and it's, it's super important because, you know, you need to develop a following and, uh, and, and bring people along with you on this journey, and that's really what it is. And you want to just load up as many folks as you can and take them along for the ride. How is technology changing the role, the the, the act of conservation photography and storytelling. How do, you, how do you see that playing out in the next few years? I've always been pretty much a traditionalist, just straightforward slideshows uh, without, without a lot of bells and whistles and, and haven't um, perhaps gone as, as deep into multimedia as, as a number of my colleagues. And so for, for I think for all of us, uh, we're asking ourselves, well, what's what's the best communication tool for tools, toolkit for what we have to offer? And and I think I, I think a lot more motion. Uh, we've discussed, you know, perhaps um, using infographics and and other non-traditional methods to reach folks. And I think we need to to do some deep dive studies as to what's most effective. We don't necessarily know. We just assume, I think sometimes, just generally speaking, that some, all of these activities add to roll up to some, some great outcome, hopefully at least reach a warm audience. But do you, do you necessarily know when you make that post, when you go out and make that presentation, when you do that exhibit, uh, how do we gauge those outcomes? I think we need to get better at that. You use a, a Nikon D5 out in the field. You've got a 600 millimeter lens. The camera virtually sees in the dark. How much easier or how much more difficult do all these tools make your job? I think it's fun. I think it's, it, it's fun to think about the possibilities. The D5 changed a lot of things for me. Um, I do a lot of work on the edges of the day and, and and it does almost see in the dark, and, it, and the autofocus is incredible. So we have all the tools we need to produce 
amazing still images. We can produce amazing 4K video with something as small as a GoPro or a drone or, or, or the DSLRs that we or our phones. And I think, as we've discussed a little bit, I think phones are, are probably a very useful tool. Um, and, and so uh, then you get into camera traps and lots of electronics and, and various means of, of making images that um, allow you to not even be present when the animal maybe comes into the frame. Those things are, are a little bit complicated, but, um, but you need to be doing all of it, I think. What, what frustrations do you have about the photography industry and or fellow photographers, maybe blind spots that, that you have that you think need to be corrected in order to, to really be advocates for change? I think most of the photographic community is not interested in visual storytelling, so it's a, it's a, it's a small percentage of, of, of us that are doing this conservation photography work, for instance, and so... Uh, you need to educate your audience just as we're talking what is conservation photography and and I think there's a frustration in in uh, maybe frustration isn't the best word it's just a challenge to to get people to come around to the idea of of just what we're trying to do to change the world with images and and the value in that and then to bring people into into that mission, and I think I'm probably getting off track here, but sure, there's challenges every day. We're, we're, we're living in a dynamic world with unlimited means to communicate, and how do you get people to stop? And that's the question I'm asking myself today, is what technologies do I need to deploy to get people to stop for just a split second and, and ponder the image or the message or both? And... Uh, and, that, and going forward, what, what's that going to look like, in the, the, the multimedia picture in the future? There are a lot of uh, young photographers, uh, 20-somethings, who come out of undergraduate, maybe having studied photography, maybe having had some sort of biology or land management uh, focus. Um, we've heard that some of these people go on to get graduate degrees in uh, journalism uh, with an environmental focus. And then when they come out, it's sort of like, well, where are the jobs? How, how should I make money? What project should I, should I be looking at? What sort of advice would you give to the, the 23-year-old sure. student? So we have, in the ILCP, we have photographers who are biologists by trade. And they happen to, to start photo photographing, and they realize there is an opportunity there to, to utilize both skill sets. And if, I think... If you become a competent photographer and, and you're driven and you want to tell a story, then you can apply that in a number of ways. We see conservation groups, for instance, that just send folks out with a point and shoot to make images that represent a, a very uh, costly campaign and a very prominent campaign that's really important. And, and that would sizzle a lot more if it had incredible images to support what, what the campaign is. So if you work for an NGO and, and you're a competent photographer, then, then you can really make a difference with those images. And, and, and I, th I think no matter what you're doing, um, if you can add a visual component to it, uh, to, to whatever your story is, then, 
then those, uh, that skill set will serve you well. Something that strikes me is that photographers, because they often operate as lone wolves, mm-hmm. that there's a, there's a scale of efficiency that's not being reached. Whereas if you had three photographers that were covering the same subject, kind of working in concert with each other, who could then go out and fan through the community and somebody could be uh, someone who's maybe a better speaker could be hitting the lecture circuit, somebody who's better at, at online presentations could, and social media, et cetera, could, could be owning those. But given the ego of the photographer and the ownership of the copyright and, and whatnot, do you think that's a feasible approach to conservation photography? I think it is. There's, there's opportunities for collaborations, and they're happening today within the ILCP, certainly. Morganheim, for instance, has an urban coyote project, and she's working with National Geographic and, and, and three or four other colleagues to tell a story about urban coyotes. And that's, I, I think, a great example of, um, of bringing talented folks together around a central storyline. So those opportunities exist. Oftentimes, though, we are coming up with our own projects and we have our own, maybe this is what gets in the way of it, is we have our own partners. And I don't think it's an ego situation. It's just a, uh, perhaps a philosophical shift that's needed to, uh, to collaborate to, to see if, if there's a way to, to reach a, a much wider audience. I think we all have to kind of take a step back sometimes and ask ourselves, is the way we're communicating effective? We may be great communicators, we may be making great images, but if they're not reaching folks, then we need to recalibrate. How do you measure the success of your efforts? It's difficult in the day-to-day, and uh, certainly you get, you get feedback um, when you're out speaking or, or meeting with the general public. Um, the biggest way I gauge the su- success of my efforts is, uh, did we save anything? And, and did those images go to work and help to contribute to a conservation victory? Um, it's a long-haul proposition. Our friend Mike Forsberg likes to say conservation has no finish line. So you have a clear objective out there, and, and perhaps it's to save a, a, a place. Um, I worked on an, uh, an issue in the upper Hoback, not far south of, of here in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And that was a case where 60,000 regular folks came together and wrote letters, and, and a number of conservation groups were involved, and people from all walks of life came together around this central issue. It was gratifying to contribute a few images to stand for those efforts. Of, of so many and to play some small part. And that resulted in a major conservation victory in the greater Yellowstone. And, and uh, I think anybody that even came to a meeting or wrote a letter should be enormously proud of that. And I, I think that's the thing is we can all just do something. Just do, do something. You photographed your neck of the woods for six years from a very practical sense, what would you photograph in the next six years that would be differentiated? How, how, how will photography support what you're doing? Or do you think that no new photography is necessary? It's just the mode of storytelling that needs to evolve. I'm still working that, 
project and still shooting assignments in the ecosystem and still thinking of new ways to tell the story. Um, next year I'll have a, an exhibit at Denver International Airport, for instance. <laughs> we could probably have a long conversation about what will the outcomes be of doing that. But it's a wonderful opportunity to, to reach a lot of people and get them to stop. Maybe you're on layover and, and, and you don't have anything else to do but to look at my exhibit. So that's, you know, that's great. I'll be doing this the rest of my life. Um, but I'm also starting a new project in, uh, in the Colorado River watershed. So a lot of my focus will be on that going forward, too. Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's an honor. This podcast is a production of Photoshelter.com. For more just like it, search for Isla Photography at iTunes or your favorite podcast provider.